0: This season covers an abduction and murder that occurred in Middleburg, Florida, in January of 1990. It's a true story, and I have relied heavily on public documents and interviews with family and people close to the investigation in order to tell it. As always, the credibility of the interviewees, as well as my own credibility as I relay the information that I have gleaned, is to be determined by you, the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. So are you thinking this is uh, random? Are you, does it feel like someone followed her? Or you don't know based on what you've got? Don't
1: know, don't know. And and they look hard at the boyfriend, Uh ex-boyfriend, people who she went out with prior, you know, four months leading up to this incident. They had a lot of uh, suspects that they they talked to, interviewed, work associates, um, people at the bar where she had like a, a, a one bar that she liked to go to all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, in the years following, all their detectives went back when they were assigned this case to look at it, contacted these individuals when DNA was. You know, they could test it, and they got samples from uh, people and had them tested. uh, Because there was, under her fingernails, the only evidence was fingernail clippings that, when tested, it showed a male contributor. Couldn't do a, could not get a profile, but they could say it was a male contributor. So, did she fight? Did she, you know... And they tested the boyfriend. They tested, you know, it wasn't his. Um, so, you know, that's possibly, uh, and that's what I've been doing here in the last year. I, I went and um, got people that were on that list and did not get their DNA, and I've obtained some of those and sent them off, and they've all come back negative.
0: Have you gotten everybody's DNA that you want to get?
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much so, Um, unless, you know, a new tip comes in, they throw a name out there, then, yeah, I'll go talk to them. And and usually when I go, people are willing to do it, so that's a, you
0: know. Well, I'm going to ask, you might not be able to answer this one, but the the witness who saw her pull off the road, were you able to get his DNA?
1: I believe they did. Unless I go pull out the the whole i got like nine boxes
2: of I, know, I saw
0: them on the tv
1: yeah. in there so it's like but yeah i i want to say that yeah they, they did that person um uh, and several others i think even ones that said when they drove by it they would call in later and say yeah i saw that car on the side of the road but no one was in it it was just abandoned and um they even looked at those individuals
0: so are you able to, with just a partial, rule those people out? Or I mean, definitely rule them yeah. out?
1: Yeah, yeah, we can rule them out because with the fingernail loopings, it does have a, a male profile, mm-hmm. a, a male contributor. I don't want them to confuse. Right. And my understanding is that if we get a DNA swab from an individual and send it, and we've been doing a private lab outside of a, They used FDLE at one point and then started using a private lab or, It's expensive, Mm -hmm. but um, they said that you know yeah we can we can eliminate and in the reports they even gave gave back state that that you know this individual then we can exclude him from being a
0: contributor. So you've excluded everyone that you, that, that's on your list that you can't possibly, you know, unless, like you said, you get another tip, yeah. you've excluded. So my question, just, I don't know a lot about DNA, so that, this question might seem silly, but what if that contributor is not the perpetrator that's under her nails? Yeah. Like, what if, yeah, then, then you're... Not,
1: that, that could possibly be it, too. I mean, and, that's
0: a and possibility. Then, and is that the, the, the sample that you're, you your you're, um, you're um, testing these all against is the underneath the nails. That's the only sample yep. you have.
1: That's the only thing we have.
0: Oh, that's a problem then, isn't it? I mean, as yeah. far as you can't yeah. really rule them out if if that's all you've got, and you're not even sure that's the perpetrator, right? Right. Oh boy, I feel upset for you. That's rough. That's a yeah. It's frustrating.
1: It's frustrating.
0: I want to focus on the witness that will call the hunter and his story, the one that he told on the side of the road at 12.45 that afternoon. Because that story doesn't make sense. Now remember, when he told his story the first time, this is just around the time that the scene was being cleared. Mike had just found that broken part of Terrell's glasses. There was still a group of people that shouldn't have been there at the scene, crowding around the car when the hunter drove up that day. And I imagine what tugged him there was crime scene tape being put up and a group of people all milling around the car that he had encountered Only hours before, not to mention a plethora of police vehicles. What I know about the story that the hunter gave is that not only does it not make sense, but his story evolved over time. He also told different people different stories on that same day. That day, his story to police was that he had encountered a red thunderbird on 218 and witnessed it abruptly pull over for no apparent reason. Then he merely drove by. His initial statement to the detective at the scene was that he thought there was a white male with glasses driving. If I take that first story that he told at the crime scene at face value, then I feel like we can debunk the theory that a cop or someone pretending to be a cop pulled Terrell over that morning because the hunter just stated that he saw her pull off the road herself for no apparent reason with no one else around. That would mean that a cop or someone pretending to be a cop never initiated a stop, a stop that would end in Terrell pulling her car over. The hunter himself also said that there were no cars around. He said he passed her by and went on about his day. Well, at least in the first iteration of the story. He was supposed to meet a buddy and go hunting that morning, but he didn't. Well, not on time anyway. According to people close to the investigation, he did not even arrive at the home of his buddy to hunt until much later. So late, in fact, that the buddy started to get concerned. That's how late we're talking about. Perhaps as much as an hour or more late is what I am being told. If what he'd told police that first day about passing Terrell after seeing her abruptly pull off the road was true, the hunter, by his own account, has a hunk of unaccounted-for time that he lied about to multiple people. But there's more. In another story that same day, he said he hadn't just driven on. He'd stopped and help the woman in need. And notice it's a woman now in this story. Her car was apparently having some sort of mechanical difficulties, and according to that version, he stopped, helped her get her car going, and then went on his merry way. And that's why he was late. So apparently this story is an effort to explain the unaccounted for time. But that story doesn't make sense, because if that was the case, if he indeed parked, got out of his own vehicle, and helped Terrell get hers working, You'd expect to find his prints somewhere on that car, areas where he touched in order to help her get it running. But remember, Detective Schoonover said there were no such prints. And we also know that her car didn't have any mechanical difficulties because it was found running. And he didn't see Merrill on her merry way because that car never moved from that spot. I think I got at least three different stories secondhand from the hunter about what had occurred that morning, and none of them, not a single one, made sense with the facts of the case as we know them. That bothers me. You have to ask yourself why someone would tell two different stories about what they'd encountered on the very morning a woman went missing, within hours. Could he have been lying about simple things to cover for him arriving late for hunting that day? Sure, I suppose he could have. Maybe he was busy doing something else that he didn't want people to know, and so that's why he lied. That's possible. People lie about things, big and small, all the time but I'm not sure why he would feel compelled to lie to police at 12.45 that day when he stopped on the side of the road of his own volition to tell the story for the first time. Police didn't contact him. They didn't even know about him. He contacted them. It's unlikely, in fact, that the police would have even located this man if he hadn't stopped. By his own admission, there was no one else around that morning when he encountered Terrell's vehicle, so no one would have saw him. So it also doesn't ring true that maybe he was just lying about why he was late that day for hunting. But yet he would go ahead and stop and talk to police and tell them a false story. The fact is, the hunter puts himself at the scene of the crime at literally the time the crime occurred, squarely within the timeline of Terrell being heard yelling, and right before the witness who found her abandoned car saw it. The hunter puts himself in that spot with his own words. And then he was late getting to the house of his hunting buddy, immediately after the incident that he lied about. The reason he gave his buddy did not match with the facts of the case as we know them either, or with the first or subsequent stories he told police and other people with knowledge of the investigation. I made sure to ask Detective Schoonover about this witness, and here's our conversation in that regard. I'd like to ask you about that witness that saw her that day, and I don't know how much you can say about that, but um, what jumped out at me about that is it didn't feel, it didn't ring true to me. Like, if I'm a woman riding on the side of the road, wa- the report that I've read is that, that, that she, he said that she pu- pulled off abruptly for no apparent reason. That's the initial report. Now, I've been, I've been told that that, that story might have changed, um, just based on a couple different uh, stories that I've heard. Um, is that accurate, that that person's story has changed over the years?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I'm trying to, uh, recall the reports that were written in, in reference to that person I know that um, there were some theories that yeah that did' that's not how it happened and um, don't know why or where he came up with that but yeah there was some talk of whether that actually occurred or not
0: because so he basically <clears throat> showed up around the crime scene in the afternoon while there was people there you know they that's when it was getting busier there yeah. and said oh by the way you know he I yeah. uh, saw this and um in his initial report and it's only a paragraph the first one uh, that he initially said he thought it was a white male um so I guess I just I I didn't feel like that made sense that someone would just pull off the road for no apparent reason like you know what I mean that that, that did not sit well with me as a female who has driven before at night like I, the only thing that popped in my head was um I recall a situation where I was driving at night and there was someone riding my butt, you know, and the right. and the lights were in my eyes. So I knew this person wanted to get around and I just pulled over to let that person get around, you know, like get out of the way of the person who's clearly, you know, in a hurry or upset or whatever. Um, and that's what, what occurred to me is that, you know, that's the only thing that occurred to me. Why she, we know she wasn't out of gas, right? Because the car was running when it was found. Um, right. So we know that so is there any anything about that that seems i mean what do you what were your thoughts about that the first you know that first statement that he gave i
1: know they they interviewed him several times there's um reports that are in the 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 file boxes that state they talked to him several different times but they just didn't feel he uh was a suspect i mean i can't answer how they eliminated them, or why,
0: or... In your mind, is he eliminated?
1: Um, I mean, no one's eliminated to me. I mean, even the ones that have given DNA, I mean...
0: Because of the sample you have is questionable. As far as I'm concerned, just based on what you told me, you can't it's really... It's
1: a male contributor. That's all I got. It's yeah. a male contributor under her nails, so... So
0: you really can't say 100% that any of them um uh, are ruled out. Is that what basically what you're saying?
1: Well... DNA Labs is telling me that the, the ones that we have submitted, they are ruling them out. They are saying that when they test their DNA against the fingernail clippings that they're, they're coming up, that is not uh, um, the t- excluded. They're yeah. excluded.
0: So they're excluded based on a, a part, not a partial, but a... Um, it's not a full DNA profile. It's not one of those where it says, "Okay, I got you." Well, I can see where this is why this is where it is then, because what you've the only that kind of DNA evidence that you've got is questionable at best, because you're not even sure it came from the perpetrator. I mean, you, one would think if it's underneath someone's nails that that would be the case, but it's questionable. So the detective told me that all of the witnesses they wanted to get DNA from they got, including the hunter, and they've all been excluded as the male contributor found under Carol's fingernails, which they're assuming is the perpetrator's DNA. And why wouldn't they, right? I mean, when we generally encounter DNA under fingernails, it's because the victim fought against their attacker. But what if it isn't? What if it's not the DNA of the perpetrator, and every sample they're testing against it is being tested against an item that's not from the killer? Or what if there was more than one person involved? I tend to agree that it's more likely than not that the DNA under Terrell's nails is from the perpetrator. I'd expect her to have fought back. Her sister tells me she had such short nails, she was personally shocked that they got anything at all. They actually
3: scraped DNA that doesn't belong to her, that belongs to a guy from underneath her fingernails. I was told that about a year ago, and I was like, she didn't have fingernails. Me and her, we're both nail biters, and we, we, there's no nail there to, to, you know, down to the quick, there's no nail there for you to scrape. And he goes, she must have fought hard then because she had DNA under her nails.
0: But I also think we need to be careful when we literally only have a single piece of DNA evidence, and not a very good one at that. It's only a male contributor. It's not a full DNA profile. I think we need to at least consider the possibility that the DNA they have isn't from the perpetrator. Police have to consider all possibilities with a very cold case like this. I can't imagine a prosecutor taking a case to trial with the DNA evidence that they have, not unless they developed a strong set of circumstantial evidence to support it, and clearly we're not there yet. I've sat here at my desk over the past weeks and racked my brain as to what other evidence they could possibly collect knowing what was there at the scene at the time. This story about the watch jumps out.
3: They uh, they called me when Katie had... Katie Padgett was investigating the case, I guess about 10 years ago. She calls and she goes, I can solve this case, Meryl. And I go, really? She goes, if I can find out where that watch is that Terrell Lynn was wearing. I said, I have it. She goes, oh my God, you have it? She goes, because... There's definitely DNA on that watch. I says, I have everything, piece of jewelry she was wearing that day, except for the necklace that they can't find. Um, I said, but it doesn't have DNA on it because they, the police cleaned it and gave it to my mom. God. I go, now what makes you think it has DNA on it? And she goes, because at one point they dragged your little sister by her wrists so hard that the watch was dangling off the two fingers.
0: Who's they? Who's dragging your little sister?
3: Whoever killed her.
0: Well, how do they know that?
3: Because this is all the stuff I found out like 10 years ago. She had on white tennis shoes. I, I was telling you what she was wearing. Right. She had on white tennis shoes, and these are the boat shoes back in 1990s, the little tiny sneakers, uh-huh. not the big chunky ones, right. just little bo- boat shoes. White tennis shoes that went with her little white skirt and bobby socks. Uh, the bobby socks would have had, like, a little bit of frilly around the ankle. Um, the heel of her tennis shoe sneakers were brown where they had dragged her. Okay. And her wrist had dragged, you know, where they had grabbed her around her wrist, and her, she had a watch on one side. Um, they had pulled on her, and so their watch had come off her wrist.
0: I encouraged Meryl to turn that watch back over to Detective Schoonover and let him decide whether there's any possibility that there could be DNA in the crevices of that watch. He himself, mentioned that Terrell may have been dragged by her wrists. I noticed that there are drag marks mentioned on her back. So if there are drag marks on the back side of her body, but she's laying on the front side, and you're picturing someone taking a body out of their car, it seems that the person would have had to,
1: I mean, even- could
2: have
1: have dragged her by holding onto her wrist Mm -hmm. and dragging her, and that's why maybe her panties came down off of her. Right. and then when it got to that Palmetto bush, just kind of turned her over and put her on top of it.
0: The other thing I was thinking about was that if I were a cop and it were humanly possible, I think I would track down the VIN number of the vehicle that the hunter was driving that day and any other vehicles that he owned at the time, and I'd see if I could find them. If so, there might be a possibility of testing those vehicles for blood today. I have seen cases where they have tracked down vehicles decades later and were able to not only luminol them, but locate blood beneath carpet and floorboards. In one case that I remember, the car that they found was in a junkyard. I mean, it doesn't hurt to try. My focus on down and away has always been on why cases go cold. That is specifically what I am interested in, the why. What led us to this point. To that end, sharing stories like the one about what happened with the watch are not an effort to point out how law enforcement screwed up. In this case, by not keeping that watch in evidence in the first place. Mistakes were made here, and Detective Schoonover was very upfront in our interview about how things could have been handled better. In every case I cover, if you really dig in and you research, you can usually find the hows and the whys that a case went cold. Here I think there were a few things. The handling of the initial crime scene of the vehicle, coupled with a heavy focus on a member of law enforcement being involved, and a lack of physical evidence, all of that played a part. There's no one thing. There's no one person to blame. I find that in almost all the cases I cover, there are things that investigators wish had been done differently, or not at all, and that's because I cover very old cases, but I don't think any of them would be handled today as they were decades ago. Now, I want to do a quick summary of the order given by the witnesses on the day Terrell went missing. It's pretty simple. The couple, whose driveway was 50 feet from where Terrell's car came to a stop, said that first, they were abruptly jarred awake by the sound of tire screeching. And then they heard someone yelling, a female, presumably Terrell, and she twice yelled, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. To me, that really says more about the fact that that was the perpetrator's vehicle because Terrell's vehicle was on sand and that the perpetrator's vehicle may not have ever left the road. It screeched to a stop on the blacktop for some reason. Whether it pulled off the road after that in front of her car, behind, wherever, we don't know. Now, this is happening at approximately 5.30, around the same time that the hunter said he saw the vehicle pull over to the side of the road. I understand why the gossip around town was that a police officer had to be involved, because of the I didn't do anything. That gave the impression that she had for some reason been stopped for some perceived infraction. Well, that and the idea was being floated by family and a certain county commissioner behind the scenes, and that was all going on in the newspaper in full public view. And then you've got that Florida Highway Patrol trooper raping and killing a woman a couple months later. That's one hell of a snowball busting ass down a hill and gaining speed. But we now know it's likely not the case, based on the hunter's statement. He specifically said that he watched her car pull off the road, and her car was found in the exact same spot he watched it pull off. That means that the hunter was the last person to see Terrell Orchid. I admit that I thought it was more likely something akin to road rage, at least a triggering incident, where Cheryl was forced over to the side, given how close her tires were on the very edge of the pavement, almost as if another vehicle had forced her off the road for some reason, which would be consistent with a car that's driving behind her speeding up to drive up on her left side, veering her off the road on the right and slamming on his brakes, hence the sound of screeching tires. That could also be someone doing that after targeting her elsewhere, like at the Minute Mart, if she stopped there. Police indicated that the tire tracks made by Terrell's vehicle showed no signs that it skidded to a stop, and they would likely not have made those tire squealing sounds on the dirt. While out there, the perpetrator appears to have had some type of loud confrontation with her. And based on her injuries, he could have punched her or dragged her out of the window of the vehicle, breaking her collarbone, and then forced her into his vehicle and sped off. It's also possible that that injury occurred later. What I picture in my mind is the perpetrator driving a screaming woman down the road to a remote area, and what he wants is her to shut the hell up, so he balls up his right fist and punches her hard in the collarbone from next to her in the cab of his vehicle. Picture an outstretched right arm, hand in a tight fist, bending at the elbow and then flinging it out hard and making contact to her chest. I think it's fair to assume that the killer didn't have another weapon in his hand at the moment that injury was intentionally inflicted, or he would probably have used that instead. If you've just abducted someone, and they're starting to scream, and it's late night or early morning, and that screaming would attract attention, you're going to try to stop that screaming, and you're going to try to stop it quick. I could see him in that car as he's veering around trying to get off the main road, just hauling off and whacking her pounding on her chest. Whatever occurred after Cheryl was abducted, which very likely could have included some type of sexual assault, given the state of undress in which she was found, it's possible that the perpetrator never left his vehicle after abducting her except to dump her body. The entire attack could have occurred in his vehicle, but we can't say that for sure. We don't know where the second crime scene is. He could have removed her body from the vehicle somewhere and then at some point loaded it back in to take her to the dump site. Although I always tend to veer toward the Occam's razor approach, and when there are more steps than make sense to me, I always think about the possibility that the theory with the least amount of steps makes sense, particularly when you're talking about someone whose adrenaline is pumping and they are murdering someone and or getting rid of a body. But we also don't know if after the perpetrator killed Terrell, whether he put her somewhere for any specific amount of time before he dumped her. It seems as though the location where she was left indicates some knowledge of the area. Inasmuch as the perp believed he had time to get her out of his vehicle and put her there, he had to have at least understood that it was not a high traffic area at that time of day. All indications suggest that he spent a little time with her before that, given she was missing clothing. We just don't know where he did that. And the thing that I keep asking myself is where the hell is all that blood? Somewhere there's a, a crime scene number two that had a lot of blood at one point whether that was right. a car or whether that was another outside area or whether that and, that was and her shirt
3: and her skirt
0: right so there are a few things that we that might help the, um, what I'll have to do though is if I if they don't give me any information the problem will be is what that we've talked about what I want to be putting public. And what would we not want to be putting public that might only the killer would know? We'll have to discuss that. Because yeah,
3: see, that's when, when I was writing this. Like I said, I got to about day
0: four. The this in question was a Facebook post. Like a lot of victim advocates, Meryl was trying to get attention for her sister's case through a dedicated Facebook page. She had begun detailing things about the crime that she knew in an effort to get leads for police. Because the case wasn't going anywhere, as far as she was concerned.
3: And Katie came on and says, you know, you don't want to really put that out there. And I said, I had everybody on a hook. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. She says, "She says, what if the killer's reading this? She goes, you don't want him to know what we know. And I said, well, what do you know? You know, yeah. exactly. I exactly. mean, you really have gotten nowhere. It's been almost 30 years. Well, by then, I think it was like 20 I said, it's been like 20 years, 22 years, something like that. I said, you've gotten nowhere. So what harm is it going to be to put it out there? Everything. Who cares?
0: I mean, and that's generally (laughs) my feeling. My feeling is generally that, too, except for items that they are holding back specifically that only the killer would know in case they need it for court. But I don't I do think there's a benefit in telling as much as you possibly can so that mm-hmm. something might jog a memory. You don't know what's gonna jog a memory into one. Into right. You don't know, and if you, don't, if you only put teeny pieces out there, for example, what right. they're putting out in the press right now is almost nothing. So that, really? that and a same, lot of it is misinformation. And it's being repeated and regurgitated over and over, and that's not helpful if you want to get accurate right. leads. Just the point about the fact that we've got the car was left, and then her body was left not far away, not too far away, but they had to have been somewhere else in between, that would be helpful for other people to know. If we know for sure she wasn't killed where her body was found, then the killer took her somewhere locally that night. So that would be helpful for people to know. I think the theory of a law enforcement officer or even someone pretending to be a law enforcement officer is all but rendered impossible by the Hunter's statement. I've said it, and I'm just going to keep saying it again. Unless he was the one pretending to be a member of law enforcement, the story doesn't make sense. It doesn't jibe with the other witnesses. And here's another thing that I find telling. An officer pretending to do a regular stop likely wouldn't have pulled her over with loudly screeching tires, would they? They wouldn't need to. All they'd have to do is flash their lights and proceed like a normal traffic stop.
3: You know, at the scene where he was kidnapping her, maybe he was in the act of actually grabbing her and putting her in a car when she's going, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything.
0: You know, but to me, if someone's grabbing you and, and pulling you out of a car, like you said, unless it's a cop, you're not screaming. I didn't do anything. You're screaming, help, help. You know, you're screaming. That's just a natural reaction. Help, help. If you don't know the person. So it almost.
3: Well, I don't know if you'd scream help, help. If you think you're alone out in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody around, you're going to try to convince that person that you're a good person. You didn't do anything and they got the wrong person.
0: Maybe. Could be. You're right. If they if she did not you know, know that there was a house, we back raised there.
3: our kids too, you know, especially back then. We raised our daughters to be polite. Yeah. And that's why a lot of women were sexually molested and raped. People would break in our houses and rape us and yeah. we would try to be nice to them before they raped
0: us. I think I would have reacted probably just like I was very shy and quiet. I would not pitch a fit i would not have done anything
3: i hitch typed across the country and i remember trying to be nice to guys that i had a gut feeling were going to do bad things to me because i didn't want to be rude
0: and we're not even taking into account he could have had a weapon (laughs) you know once there's a weapon involved you're you know what i mean like Her, what know. they
3: should have been taught was to scream, kick, fight, piss all over themselves, shit all over themselves, right. smear it on him, yeah. do whatever the hell they can to get that. But we don't teach our daughters that. No. We don't tell our daughters they don't have to be ladylike. Yeah. We don't tell them that they can go that shit crazy if that's what it takes to save their life. And a lot of women that survive that kind of stuff, they don't realize that until they survive that kind of stuff. And then they're like, you know what? I don't have to be a lady when it comes to that guy. It's survival.
0: Yeah, that's right.
3: Some of them don't survive, you know. And Terrell Ann, if put in a corner, is a scrapper. So I don't think this guy came out unscathed, but she was like a Well, clearly
0: they got DNA under her bitten nails. Clearly she did something.
3: You know, they probably would have gotten it from her mouth too. She probably bit, clawed everything you know she (sighs) she, probably once it dawned on her that her polite ways were not going to work that she was going to die when she knew that was inevitable she probably started scrapping and i bet she was dead within seconds of that
0: yeah i mean once you start being sexually attacked is what when that's gonna start occurring i mean yeah yeah. so
3: yeah but if she thinks it's a cop, she's going to try to apply and oblige, or she thinks it's somebody with authority, or even if the. But she wouldn't have pulled over for just anybody. I would think she would not have pulled over. for Not
0: in skin. the dark. Not in the middle of the dark. Not like in hell. No.
3: Even in broad daylight, she would be very skeptical of doing that. You know, she
0: just. That's why I wondered if they got her off the road by. You know how when you pull up next to someone and then you and then you. Veer over to make for them. Him to move over, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah.
3: If he'd have flashed a badge, she probably would have. But what if it was? What if it was not obey.
0: a? What if it was a serial killer? How did he get her off the road?
3: He would have been posing as a cop. I don't care how good looking he is. He'd have been posing as a cop.
0: Well, what if it's a van and it and it, it wasn't a serial? I mean, t- what other What other circumstance? How do we think we, he got her off the road if it's someone in a van who's clearly not a cop? If,
3: if it's if it's somebody that was a serial killer he was definitely posing as a cop that's the only way he would have, a stranger would have been able to get her off that road is if he was posing as a law enforcement officer of some form
0: the other way that i have seen people the other only other way that i've seen uh, and i there was a this was a serial situation that was occurring in Michigan i think there's an unsolved one that had this MO where there was a man Pointing to the back of a car, like, making the woman think the tire was messed up or something. Uh-huh. And they got her off the road that way. That She
3: wouldn't have. No. No? Not in the dark, not in the middle of nowhere. She would have drove that thing home on rims.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm. that. She was
3: that to... big of a scaredy cat. Me, that, I probably would have been tricked into that one. I would have pulled over and looked at my car and then got back in the car and run him over.
0: Yeah.
3: I think I would have been scared to get out, too. She probably would have said, you know, it's a brand-new car. It feels She's pretty smart, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it had all the little bells and whistles, you know. And so she probably would have said, nah, maybe my light's out. Well, I'll look at it when I get home.
0: The problem (laughs) is the cop was not driving a van or a a pickup, and that was the, the description that those folks thought it gave was a taller car they, that's not- yeah because they
3: could see the top the very top just the, they could see like just the slight top over the trees Those so very thick woods very bushy
0: that's very not bushy a cop car thick wooded
3: area and all they could see they couldn't see the vehicle at all but they assumed because of the height of the trees and the bushes that that was either a van or a pickup truck because it would be higher up than a car top
0: And that's not a a police truck car. No,
3: that's... And they could be dead wrong, this couple.
0: Yeah, they could be. Yeah, that's true. They could be wrong in what they heard, too. I mean, we can't take anything as positive. But, I
3: mean, mean, maybe if somebody would have went out there and parked their car there the next night and said, Okay, let me... Go look at it, yeah. And and look and see is that where it was and does it... And then maybe the guy would have went, Oh, you know, it could have been a car. But I'm thinking it might have been... A van or something, like a pickup truck. And cops did drive in vans and pickup trucks and stuff like that, sedans and things. Yeah. I'm still on the fence with that, you know, but they've almost got me convinced that a I... This uh, schoonover is the one that's kind of convinced me Between him and Katie, I don't know They're saying that they think it might have been a serial killer Not a police officer But, you know, the police officers in Clay County of such a small town back then And town, small community, I should say County and everything They were in trouble for stuff, you know, all, all the time They were just average humans
0: Yeah, and the thing about it is, though I don't tend toward the law enforcement angle either, only because then you've got to figure out motive. What was the reason that he pulled your sister over that day? There was a loud argument that the neighbors heard, which would be really not something that a police officer would want anyone to know about. And that is way too... that's a not a low-key situation so that would mean he's risking his job to have an argument with your sister in the middle of the street that would indicate he your sister was having an affair with a cop and i don't think we have any indication of that do we
3: no but also you got to realize back then they were if it was a cop um they were pretty much fearless back then they weren't afraid of being caught in an affair they weren't afraid of you know almost 30 years ago of any of that,
0: yeah, but was or he having an affair with her?
3: Them, they would have just told him, Get the hell out of here,
0: yeah, but and keep was your mouth shut. But ask yourself, you have to look at motive, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense that a cop would risk his job to start having an argument with some girl unless there actually was an affair. Was your sister uh, having an affair with uh, a cop
3: uh, nowadays? a uh, educated, uh, very well trained cop, no, would not, but a redneck, good old boy. 30 years ago, out in the middle of BFB, yes, he would have.
0: So you're thinking more along the lines of someone who became obsessed with your sister. And... No, I'm
3: thinking more on the lines of somebody that probably did this quite regularly and was a, a police officer, was a, a sheriff deputy.
0: That was pulling yeah. women over and, and, and or, what, asking for sex? A,
3: um, no, I, don't, I think she might have been the first one. That, if it was a police officer, she might have been the first murderer
0: yeah but what you but the first murder but he would have to have an established pattern of stopping women and what asking for sex i mean you have to dig and ask yourself what was his motive was he just stopping women because they're off, i there was a case like that there was a cop that was stopping actually he was stopping sex workers though because he knew people wouldn't believe yeah. them you remember that one that, that guy that he, he might
3: have saw her at the store and thought you know, or it could have been a cop's kid or anything like that, you know, and saw her pastor her on the street and saw her driving and said, hmm, I'm going to pull her over. Maybe he wasn't thinking of sex. Maybe he was thinking of playing cop. And it got out of hand.
0: But then you, know? you have to ask yourself what your sister was going to comply, right? She would comply with what, right. what the officer said. She so
3: absolutely would comply.
0: Yeah. So what... It would have had to have escalated in that situation to get out of your car and suck my dick, basically, for Uh, her to do something. That's where we're standing, As a guy who's asking her to perform a sex act.
3: There was a fine layer of dust on the car um, when my mom went to get the car Mm -hmm. on the side of the road. And my mom didn't see any disturbance on this dust, which makes me think that she was not pulled out that window.
0: Hmm. I would think if she was pulled out the window, they would have prints that would suggest that. smears, something. Uh,
3: a body smear or yeah, something like yeah. that. I, You know, there wasn't even a sign that she was, like, leaned up against the car or anything like that. It was almost as if he said, get out of the car, and she got out of the car. You know?
0: But it was, according to the neighbors, it went on for a little bit. Like well, something that Well, no, for a not bit.
3: that long, just long enough for him to, her to wake him up and him to get dressed and get to the door. By then, he was, they were gone.
0: And they thought it was a domestic violence situation, so it sounded right, to them did. like these two she people. She thought it was
3: a domestic violence situation because she'd been in one before.
0: And I don't know if she said that because her, that was her sort of bias that she thought it was, that's what it sounded like or because it sounded like two people who knew each other having an altercation in the road
3: she said the only thing she ever she didn't hear the guy at all all she heard was terrell screaming like she was terrified and she was screaming i didn't do anything and she only said it like three times
0: wow
3: other than that she didn't hear what they were saying she just heard it but she didn't know what they were saying
0: that's upsetting because you're imagine your sister there's there's help within shouting distance you know what i mean yeah. there's help i don't think she to, um... knew
3: that though because it was so dark out there you couldn't see the trailer
0: oh that's true it is kind of off in the back yeah you probably wouldn't uh, and, and it was
3: pitch black i don't think she knew there was a trailer there and you know you don't really think if there if it's a Uh, somebody posing as a cop or a cop, you think you're safe. Yeah. You know, you think you're safe. She's not going to pull over for just Joe Blow and get out of the car. And so, and then with them botching up the case, that's why I went there. That's why I went with that pretty much theory. And I'm the one that went public with that theory. Otherwise, I don't think anybody would have ever even thought a cop really i don't think that would have ever even surfaced i was the only one that was like what you you know and the reason that i did that was because i wanted to find out why they screwed up so bad why they botched this case so bad and it's like if they would have one time came out and said you know what we fucked up we're idiots but now we know and we got this yeah. I would have dropped that. I would have totally dropped that whole thing. And to this day, nobody would be thinking that.
0: Well, but that it is a, it
3: is, is a, I was throwing a fit about it.
0: But it does have a ring of possibility. Why That's would she have gotten out of a car for a stranger? She probably wouldn't have. No, But you would Uh, get out for an authority figure. There was also
3: an incident where there was a kid trying to flag her down, a little boy trying to flag her down at one point, and she wouldn't stop for a little kid, and it was light outside. Yeah. I would have stopped, but she wouldn't, even though it tore her heart out. She went home and called the police because she thought something was going on, something was wrong, and they told her that it was a good thing she didn't stop, that they... They had uh, people would wait in the bushes.
0: The thing we, is, if it was a cop who pulled her over, I he would have had his lights on at some point to get her all over to the side. Definitely, he would have had his lights on. So the the on. the neighbors never saw those bright lights in the middle of that darkness going no, off. No, because there were
3: trees blocking the trees blocking
0: the whole view yeah but i live in an area like that in the middle of nowhere or i did I just moved from there a very country road nothing on either side when in the middle of the night when a a,
3: if it's if it's one that's inside your um you that you put up in your thingy your windshield
0: I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I've ever thought of that. Maybe, maybe if you put in your windshield. But light really in a dark like that. Yeah, I, I. would challenge you that it would be bouncing around unless he turned it off before they got up and saw a visual. Maybe that could have happened. You know, it could have been. They could have been turned off. But there's just so many things that make me think it. It could. It wouldn't be, and not because. And if,
3: it, and if it's a van. Now you
0: know, that. He's
3: gonna know that's not a cop.
0: Yeah, and that serial killer vibe right there. Because they're
3: saying that um, they believe that the vehicle pulled in front of her, pulled off the road in front of her, not behind her, and that's why she didn't take off.
0: But why would she be telling a stranger I didn't do anything? He would have had to have been saying something to her like, you bitch, you did this or you did this and her to get that response out of her. You know what I mean? That indicates if it wasn't a cop, it was a stranger that she had already come into some contact with or he was acting like they came into some contact. He was saying yeah. something to make her defensive. Only someone who was not law enforcement would have to force someone off the road in order to get them to stop. And to me, that seems to fit better with the evidence that we do have, with screeching tires and with Terrell screaming. What if someone was driving behind her and felt that she was moving too slowly? That's something that Terrell's sisters had pondered. The thing about that that doesn't make sense is that it's a desolate area. You could easily pass someone on that road with no difficulty, particularly if there was no one else around.
3: And there was a hunter that drove down that road that night But he said that he passed her and the reason that she drew his attention was she was on 218 and she was only driving like 35 miles an hour and he couldn't understand why she was driving so slow. He said she was only doing about 30, 35 miles an hour and I thought that was odd. I followed behind her for a while, he says, and then finally I just passed her and she was looking straight ahead and driving really slow. And I couldn't understand why she was driving so freaking slow. So that made the cops that were investigating at the time, um, which were the first cops, um, think that somebody was hiding in her backseat and that they were holding her at gunpoint or something. And there was no evidence to corroborate that.
0: No. So, did she have a tendency to drive slow or did she have bad night vision yeah. or anything like that? Or she no, just...
3: she, did wear, she did wear glasses and... Um, Um, but she didn't speed or anything like that. And like I said, it was super, it was one of those dark nights. You're out in the middle of nowhere. The last thing she wants to do is run over a cat or a dog or hit a deer or a raccoon or possum or anything. She would have died if she'd hit an animal. She was a big time animal lover
0: what is, flabberg- well, this
3: is the third story i've heard that he told them because uh, the cops told us mm-hmm. that he actually she didn't pull off the road she was driving and this is the same story my older sister heard because i asked her i go what do you know about the hunter and she goes well i know the cops said that he was driving behind her and she was going really slow she goes which i felt that was a lie because you know how tara was she didn't drive that slow and uh she's law-abiding but she wouldn't drive below the speed limit at all and uh she says yeah she might even want hot rod some you know she had a trans am or a z28 a z28 too and she did hot rod that car in the dirt roads and stuff and uh but anyway cheryl goes you know that's a lie she wasn't driving too slow and i said yeah that's true and then he got annoyed with her speed because he was late to go hunting. And so he passed her. And when he passed her, he got a good look at her and that she had her hair pulled back, was wearing a banana clip, and that it was definitely a girl. He didn't notice if anybody else was in the car. And he just went on about his business hunting.
0: And yet the very first very first thing he told police at 12.35 that day on the side of the road was that it was a male, a white male, with glasses, and that's all he knew. So what about if it was someone who was out there looking for trouble that night? A man preying on a female that he may have known traveled that stretch of road often on the way home. A local predator who was also disposed to being out and about in the early hours, who had recognized the red Thunderbird and the pretty blonde behind the wheel. The thing is, so many of those possibilities don't make sense if the hunter is telling the truth because he said he specifically saw no other cars on the road and he was the only one following her on the road that night. If someone was following Terrell, targeting her that morning, the Hunter would clearly have seen them behind her or behind him. So unless I'm missing something here, the Hunter himself seems to be the key. And right now, that key does not fit. I learned that the Hunter did own a pickup truck and also possibly an SUV around the time Terrell was killed, both having been described by witnesses as the possible vehicle type that left the scene of the abduction that morning. His time between when he encountered Terrell's vehicle and he arrived to the house of his hunting buddy was time that was never accounted for, and that's perhaps an hour or more. He never gave any accounting of that time other than to say that he was helping a woman on the side of the road, and that definitely did not happen, because if it did, the passerby, only minutes after her screams were heard, the one who went to the Jiffy store to report it would have seen a man helping a woman on the side of the road, and that's all based on the timeline. That just did not happen. Are we to believe that the hunter passed by after Terrell had stopped her car on the side of the road for some unknown reason and then a killer popped out of nowhere? Just happened to run across Terrell and decide to do her harm and have some sort of altercation in those few minutes that would end with her screaming? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I'm a writer. In my profession, we have a thing called suspension of disbelief. Basically, it's a willingness to disengage from critical thinking and believe something that doesn't make sense for the purposes of enjoying a story. I find no enjoyment in the story of Terrell's death, nor am I capable of suspending the amount of logic necessary to believe the Hunter's ever-evolving story makes sense. And that's because it doesn't. What police have to decide is whether that means the Hunter did something to Terrell that day or he's just a very inept liar who made the unfortunate choice to lie for reasons known only to him, and then a woman was killed. If, after listening to this podcast, you feel that you have information that might help the investigation into the murder of Terrell Orkett, please contact Detective Schoonover at 904-213-6703. That's 904-213-6703. I will pin this number as well as his email contact on the top of the Down and Away Facebook page. You can also contact me at deckerjenny at gmail.com d-e-c-k-e-r j-e-n-i at gmail.com and I can send you in the right direction. Remember, when we're talking about cold cases, no detail is too small. Every detail matters. Think about a puzzle where only one piece is missing. That one piece means something. Without it, the puzzle's not complete. Be a part of getting answers for her family. It would be an amazing gift to give, and I promise it would be so appreciated. Thank you guys so much for listening this season. If you like what you hear, it'd be great if you could pop over and give the podcast a review because it helps other listeners find me. And you can always track me down on the Down and Away Facebook page as well as the Twitter page. And the handle is at Down Pod. That's the word and in the middle, down and away pod. Also, make sure you stay subscribed because as updates on these cases begin to filter in, I'll do quick standalone episodes and let you guys know what's going on with them. Cross your fingers. Maybe 2020 is going to be the year that someone's cold case gets solved. Now, I'm going to get back to the stack of cases on my desk. There's some interesting ones in there, and I hope to air them for you soon. Music for this season was courtesy of Moby Gratis, and this is Walk With Me. Walk
2: with me, Lord. Thank
0: you guys so much. See you next season.
2: Walk with me, Lord. All alone, (laughs) this tears journey, won't you walk with me? walk with me long walk with me all along this tears shining won't you walk with me take my hand take my this journey Won't you take my